Yes, I can. I can talk. And I can sing in the mic. I'm talking. He can sing in his mind. Uh, how does it, uh, is it, is it, is it okay? Is it okay? Hey everyone, welcome to Lore Club. Uh, the show where friends from all over the internet come together to bring lore from our favorite games, fandoms, and more to life. It is a pleasure I, being here. I'm yes. here as well this time. I was I started laughing impulsively because I've never done that intro correctly off the top of my head, <laughs> and I think I just did. <laughs> well, maybe, and then I interrupted you when you're about to go into something different. Hey, you it's know, okay. you were you were following the the sort of flow of the show. You were you were going yes. in the right direction. It is a bonus episode, so it's all free form anyway. This is true, the the freest form. Um, yeah. So we don't really have much of an agenda for this episode. I did want to talk a little bit about a dance and fire, just sort of like you know talk about our, our feelings about it, sort of off the top of our head. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, I haven't had that much fun doing random foley. Um, is from any past memories. Um, yeah, I really had a blast doing a dance and fire. That was great. I loved when, uh, uh, when you first told me about that and you said, yeah, you're going to play, uh, the, uh, the main character, Scotty, the last name. And I was like, Oh, okay. There's going to be a lot of lines. No, actually he, <laughs> he, the guy barely says anything. He's just like, a, a, basically a placeholder, a kind of a mockery of himself in a lot of ways. I don't know. Um, it was, it was fun reading through that and performing through it. It yeah. really was. No, you're totally right about, uh, yeah, Scotty just not having a lot of lines. He is very much just the everyman sort of perspective character that the reader is supposed to sort of project themselves onto as they're sort of taking in the scenery in the same way he is. Yes. <clears throat> Which I really like about, about it. Like, uh, it doesn't feel like a book that has to be in the Elder Scrolls universe or any game universe for that matter. Like, it feels... Very much like it could exist as a novel on its own, you know. Yeah, it it is a little vestigial uh, when it comes to the lore of Elder Scrolls, but the fact that it's there just makes Elder Scrolls all the much better. Yeah. For it, it's just those little details that makes it so special and beloved by fans. Yeah, um, but that, that's what I mean. Like it's in that tradition of like sort of uh, high fantasy world building books, like you know, uh, like Tolkien or um, uh, I'm. I'm trying, I can't remember off the top of my head. Like Pratchett, I feel like could write okay. something in this. If it was sillier, it could, it could be Pratchett. You know, I kind of think that like uh, um, going into the story of Decimus Scotty uh, after doing the 36 Lessons of Vivek, uh, it was kind of like going from a Stephen King novel to a Douglas Adams novel. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. There, there was a lot of lines I was reading. As, as you recall very well, I'd, I'd read something from 36 Lessons of Vivek, and in the middle of recording a take, I would turn, I would just cut the take and be like, it, does this actually happen? <laughs> does this character blank their own blank just so that they can blank? <laughs> Is this actually what I'm reading right now? Yeah, and the, you do have to... These have always been in the games? What? And even conceptually talking about it, you do kind of have to redact some of those things when you say them out loud, because it's like, wow. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not sure what I should censor or what I shouldn't, but I mean, anyone listening definitely has an imagination. Yeah, Kirkbride was really on one when he, <laughs> when he did the 36 lessons. And that's why I bring up Stephen King, because that man uh, definitely had moments of not being sober, mm -hmm. and if you read through it, then it's like there are uh, uh, scenes in that that probably shouldn't have been in there. Yeah. That's and, a really solid comparison. Yeah. Uh, so I do still love The Elder Scrolls for having all of that in it, even though certain details may not have been necessary. But you know what? I'm not complaining because yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I I, um, I still haven't read the, the sequel to A Dance and Fire, the Argonian account. <clears throat> and I don't know if we'll perform it on the show or not because uh, I kind of want to get to other things. And we'll talk about that later. Um, okay. I yeah, we we could totally do it eventually, but just do you know something else. Um, 
in the meantime. So for Lore Club, we've we've done Vivek, uh, we've done Daki Muscati. Um What else are we going to do that is not Elder Scrolls related? Yeah, I mean, there's if we, so much. If we want to go ahead and talk about that, um, there are. I mean, there's a few other like game universes that you know we've talked about going into. I recently started playing Dishonored. Um, and there's a lot of in-universe lore for that one that's actually kind of um, more in the A Dance in Fire vein, like in-universe books mm. rather than lore books like they are in The Elder Scrolls. You know, it's just stuff that takes place in their sort of alternate history. Um, yeah, Dishonored was uh, uh, was very interesting. I only got may- maybe halfway through the first game. Yeah. And that was six years ago. I stopped yeah. playing because I put it on hard mode. <laughs> I was like, I'm an adult. I can do this. I stopped doing it. I think the real adult move <laughs> is acknowledging that sometimes you just want to be here for the story. And if you need to put it on easy mode to make that happen, that's okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's okay Absolutely. to listen to pop music. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, look, I'm an indie rock artist, okay? I, I understand the benefit now at the age of 33 uh, probably uh, by uh, the redacted. time this episode comes out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I understand the benefits of just chugging four chords on eighth notes to a standard backbeat. If it works, uh, it works. You know? Yeah. Um, if it delivers the message you're trying to deliver, then, you know, that's a success. Uh, but yeah, okay. That, but that would be interesting. Um, that whole universe, that whole Dishonored universe, and that's still within the Bethesda vein. Yes. Um, I forget if they were uh, developers or publishers or whatever, what whatever kind of technicality. There yeah, would be I there. think I think they were. I think they published that one. I don't think they were directly involved in the development. Um, okay. Because that was the reason I started playing is because it's on Game Pass. Which, by the way, if you don't have Game Pass, you should get Game Pass. Like they're not paying us to say this, but holy shit, that is worth the money. It's uh, genuinely good, and it has Danganronpa on it. Yeah. Well, and the reason I bring it up is like the reason. Dot- <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> we'll, we'll stream Danganronpa eventually. Um, <laughs> you fully clipped. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll stream Danganronpa eventually. But anyways, the reason I, I brought it up in the first place is because uh, Dishonored was part of Bethesda's game library, and that is all on Game Pass now. Cool. Like everything except for the games they're you know still actively selling, like Skyrim and stuff like that, is is available for just streaming on Game Pass. Hey everyone, Joe from the future here, just stepping in to uh, correct what we're about to say. Dishonored was not made by Obsidian. It was made by Arcane Studios, which is wild that I would get them wrong, uh, because Arcane not only has a studio in France, where they're originally based, but also in Austin, which is like right up the street from me. Um, So yeah, not produced by Obsidian, was produced by Arcane, same people who did Arx Fatalis and Dark Messiah of Might and Magic, Prey, all that stuff. So uh, back to the episode. Yeah. Wasn't it Team Obsidian that did Dishonored? Yes, I think you're right. Okay, I, I think, think that that's their Bethesda connection because that's the team that did Fallout some of the New Fallout Vegas. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the team that did Fallout Three and Fallout New Vegas. I believe it's the yeah. same team. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then Bethesda uh, Bethesda Games, not Game. Is it? It's Bethesda Softworks is the publishing house. Mm-hmm. Bethesda Game Studios is the developer. Yes. Yeah. So Bethesda Softworks published Dishonored and Dishonored 2. Mm-hmm. Um, Only a little confusing. It's like a, <laughs> right. It's like remembering that uh, uh, Sierra was involved in the uh, uh, publishing of the original Half-Life. That was at yeah. the very tail end of Sierra's uh, existence. Yeah. After a very successful run in the 90s, giving LucasArts a run for their money, actually. Mm -hmm. Very surprising. LucasArts obviously having all the George Lucas money. So the late 80s, they were able to do really incredible stuff. Uh, Sierra didn't have that, but man, they really pulled it off and uh, uh, proved themselves to be on the same level of legendary uh, in that that style of gaming. Total digression. I totally agree. But, you know, uh, it's it's just interesting looking at uh, developers and publishers and all that. Absolutely. The three of us specifically could talk about Sierra and LucasArts forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, gonna stream Monkey Island series. Can't wait. Yes, yeah. We're gonna stream Monkey Island too. Yeah, I'm back to streaming. That's why we keep talking about streaming. Yeah, yeah. Back on that streaming game. Did we, I'm just realizing we didn't introduce ourselves at the top of the episode. Oh, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm gonna leave it like that and just not let anybody know who we are until this point <laughs> of the episode. What, what if so we what na- if we do it right now but then like scream our names and then like edit those screamed names into the beginnings so that everyone's confused until I, this point? I hate 
I hate that idea. Or not. Okay, so you know, is, whatever. This is this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is show that you're listening to right now. And my pronouns are he, they. This is Alex, uh, 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 he, him. I'm not going to scream, I guess. Okay, fine. Thank you. I appreciate it. I May, deeply appreciate Maybe that. it's 9 o'clock at night right now, and we don't want to wake up the neighbors. Yeah. I will also not scream, and in fact, I'll get I'll get really close to the mic, and oh, yeah. I will I'll do a little whisper. My, my name is Charlie. I use I use he him pronouns. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I'm I'm here as well. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we're doing an ASMR episode. It's really good. I I think we've been needing to do this for a long time. My car is full of bags of blue talkies. I'm <laughs> going the, to eat every single one. Why the blue ones? Because I, I because I've been they, watching too much Nikocado Avocado. That's oh, the kind that no. they prefer. Okay. Why would you? Why is what? why is that what you? I'm not nearly as bad as he is. That's true. But pretty bad. Okay. So, anyways, um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of uh, things that we're gonna do next. Uh, so, like I said, there are plenty of game universes we could go into next. I've been talking for a long time about like season two of the show, and I'm doing air quotes right now. Yeah. Uh, season two of the show being a <laughs> doggy sneeze. Uh, season two of the show being fan fiction. Um, mm. And there's a lot of complexity that comes with that. Like, obviously, you know, it's fun to sort of have that like amateur writing level to work with. But I also don't want to be seen as like poking fun at people for doing that sort of thing. There's a lot of talent in a fan fiction community. Um, one of our last bonus episodes for a, however long ago it was, we covered the SCP Foundation for yes. like a Halloween bonus. And that's a perfect example of fan fiction writers being really talented writers. So, yeah, yeah it's like, sure, you say poking fun. Yeah, sure. And and then Mario does redacted with Sonic. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. You could go that route, and that is fun and funny. <laughs> Bless you. That's okay. Um, but also, there's plenty of wonderful talent out there, uh, um, and plenty of, well, lore to choose from. Yeah. Um, not canon, but still, well, similar to this, bonus. And it, it that sort of leans into... You're such a dumbass. That's There's sort a of dog like, in the room. Pardon us. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I we will, will not apologize for I will edit dogs. this to some extent. Um, there you go. Good boy. Good boy. You know, if it helps, he doesn't shed. This is true. <laughs> yeah, there's so much cat hair in my bed now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in case in case the stream hasn't been updated, <laughs> or, no, mm. not stream. This is going to go on a podcast. Yes. In case the anybody that's listening hasn't been updated or knows about the, the cat that lives in our house. Um, we also have a dog now, and they are not friends yet, but <laughs> yeah. we're working on it. <laughs> They're learning. It's like a Disney movie. It we're, really is. We're bridging divides. Yeah. Charles, when you said that, I couldn't help but think that it sounded like the name of a short story and its subsequent sequel. Yeah. The short story. The cat, the that, cat lives that lives in our, in our house. house. <laughs> and the sequel is the same title, but there's parenthetical. Also, <laughs> there's we a have dog a dog now. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, those would be great children's books. Or like terrible, like creepy pasta YouTube animatics. Yeah, um, I, I prefer the former, also, like in a real doll kind of sense. <laughs> yeah. Could could also be like a Wes Anderson film. Yes. Oh god. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that, that's another one I kind of roll my eyes at. Yeah. <laughs> a ludicrously talented filmmaker who does the same movie over and over again. Yeah. yeah. He's got a new one coming out. Uh, yeah. It's about, like, the West, uh, right? It's out West. It's, it's, it's uh, a new uh, an atomic bomb. hotel. Anyways, uh, to get back to where we were, I don't know how much of yeah. th that last section I'll leave in, but um, <laughs> <laughs> to get to get back to where we were, this is a roundabout way of saying one of the greatest works of fan fiction ever, I think, that's referenced constantly across... Fifty Shades. Yes, yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey. So we're going to do okay. a Fifty Shades of Grey audiobook. Cannot no, uh, wait. <laughs> the King of My Immortal. Oh, the... I would, no, don't give me, like, I would love to do My Immortal. Like, seriously, <laughs> I would love to. The only thing is recently Strange Aeons did a full reading of it. Yeah, that's true. And, like, I feel like we're too close it off was, the heels of that. It was that. pretty perfect as well. I, I really wouldn't want to. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I imagine, like, if it's her doing it, it's probably going to be good. Considering the Strange Aeons has been covering My Immortal yeah. for so long. And it is directly her audience, too. Yeah. Like, 
uh, yeah, I would I would love to try and get her on Lore Club at some point. Um, that'd be so cool. That, that's that's another one of those people that like they just have a nice voice that I would love to Absolutely. to work with. Um, Lovely. Yeah, I, I have I have a long list of like YouTubers and streamers and people that I would just love to be like, hey, will you voice a character in this? I can't pay you anything, but will you do it, please? Pretty please. <laughs> Pretty please. <laughs> right. On. No, um, that's good. That's good. That's what's uh, uh, really cool about the community is just people talking to each other. Uh, and when it comes to um, people who write their own fan fiction, uh, you're going into legal gray areas. Uh, I don't consider ethics to be that much of a gray area uh, if you're just asking a fan fiction writer if you can read their work and properly credit them. Yeah. No one's getting paid anything. Yeah. The the deal with, uh, with some fan fiction is like, you know, it, it depends... Obviously, you know, right now, I think we can be frank and say Lore Club is not making any money. We are effectively a non-commercial enterprise. Yeah. Um, so we're not really bound legally by a lot of the things that we would be bound by if we were making money off of the show. Yeah. Um, but uh, when we start monetizing the show, um, we, you know, I don't want to be in a situation where I have to retroactively remove something because it features Pikachu and Sonic f- and I don't want to be sued by Nintendo and Sega. I think you mean um, redacted. Yes. <laughs> I'll believe that. Uh, <laughs> but you, you know what I mean. So anyways, uh, I keep trying to get to The King in Yellow. Um, so I've been reading The King of Yellow. I'm not done with it yet. It's very short. It shouldn't be taking me this long to read it, but I read very slowly. Um, it's good, basically, is my is my point, and I want to perform it. Uh, so okay. I've been thinking about ways to do that. Uh, can you go more into what that is? I don't think I'm familiar with with this title, The King in Yellow. Yeah, um, so I have it right here uh, by Robert W. Chambers. Ooh, um, let me let me see specifically when it was written. Uh, it was a long ass time ago, a long, 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 long time ago, before the rain, before the snow, lived a man, lived a man I know, lived a freak of nature named Sir Psycho. <laughs> Okay. Oh, is that you? Not a not a popular name there. And I mean every everybody that knows uh Silent Hill should should recognize the King in Yellow to some degree. Yeah. Because that's uh, pretty pretty major to yeah. Silent Hill. And a, a game that was heavily inspired by Silent Hill, Signalis, mm-hmm. is yes. the reason that I'm reading The King in Yellow in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um uh, yeah, inspired by Signalis and, uh, or inspired by Silent Hill and my favorite survival horror series and possibly one of my favorite game series of all time, Resident Evil. I never played a Silent Hill game. You've never played a Silent Hill game? That's not one. Wild. Not, not a single one. That's like, it's understandable that I haven't played a Silent Hill game. That is but... genuinely surprising from you. I know, right? That is crazy. Yeah. So I'm sorry, but we might like Monkey Island might wait a little while. <laughs> we might yeah, just... we <laughs> really. Uh, well, I mean, Silent Hill, Monkey Island, they they can stagger. Yeah, it's fine for a horror series to have comic relief. <laughs> yeah, we can do one on one off, like yeah, just, sure. just bounce between them. Yeah, uh, get real like uh, comedy drama whiplash. Uh, so, anyways, uh, The King in Yellow is a book of short stories by American writer Robert W. Chambers, first published by F. Tennyson Neely in 1895. Wow. Um, so it is well within the public domain at this point, and many people have done like sort of audiobooks of it, or um, you know, adapted it into other media. Like we were talking about, Signalis uh, incorporates The King in Yellow into its plot. Um, H.P. Lovecraft references the the lore of the King in Yellow constantly throughout his works. He's probably the reason the King in Yellow is as popular as it is, is because the the Lovecraft mythos like built on the stories there. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot there to uh, dig into. Um, f- for a brief overview, the title of the book refers to a book that exists within the fiction, so it's sort of this meta narrative. Um, right. Basically, the King in Yellow book within the fiction is a is a play, um, which was published as a like you know play script. Basically, this this script was published within the fiction, and all of the stories revolve around people who have been touched by this work in some way. Basically, so um, 
the idea is that the first chapter of the book is really enticing and beautifully written. And it's this wonderful, compelling, like love story, I think, uh, between two of the main characters. There's like a princess whose name I'm forgetting. It's like Carmela or something like that. Um, and there's a King Haster of this uh, uh, island, Carcosa, um, or is it like, a, is the planet Carcosa? I can't remember. Um, anyways, it's this like complex fiction that like, basically the idea is that the first chapter makes you want to read more. Like it's impossible to Put not down. read on. Uh, and the idea is if you do that, if you read the second chapter, th the events of the second chapter are so corrupting that you can't be the same after you've read it. So it, it fundamentally changes like the way you perceive the world. It like breaks your brain. So this like first chapter entices you and draws you in. And then if you keep reading, like you're fucked, like you're going to die or somebody around you is going to die or you're going to be crazy for the rest of your life or like, yeah. Um, That's kick ass. Right? I love so, that. So basically uh, The King in Yellow in our world is this collection of short stories written by Chambers that all revolve around this fictional King of Yellow, King in Yellow play. So it's like kind of perfectly formatted to what we do. Um, yeah. which is like each of the short stories is about as long as like one of the chapters in the books that we've been doing for the Elder Scrolls. Um, okay. Yeah. It's, it's really good. And it makes it a really surprisingly easy read. You know, it's, it like feels very modern in terms of its like pace. Um, so yeah, highly recommend, recommend it as a read, but, um, okay. So if, if, if Chambers was writing a bunch of short stories about this meta narrative, how does that relate to fan fiction? Can other authors just write about that same meta narrative? Well, that's what I'm saying. It is basically a fan fiction. So um, The King in Yellow was not technically the first book um, made in the... <laughs> it makes so much noise. <laughs> this, this stool is very creepy. That was why I brought up another chair so nobody had to sit in that stool. Ah, uh, and then I decided to use the chair that Joe brought up to uh to use it as a little desk for my my sketchbook. Yep. We're fine, we promise. It's okay. Yeah, we're we're good. It's going to be okay. I still love you. Um what was I what was I saying? Oh, uh, fan fiction. the relationship between fan fiction and this particular work. Yeah, so basically um Chambers uh wrote this book because he was inspired by a poem uh <laughs> because he was inspired just stop moving. <laughs> <laughs> or like switch the two. Fine. <laughs> Hold on, guys. Yeah. Gotta. I am editing this episode at this point, so like it's not a big deal. No, no, you're not. We're we're keeping this in. We're keeping this in. We're keeping this in. Me oh, no. and my fail. I That's made right. This we're calling this. Uh, <laughs> this is. We're honestly, calling this segment a uh, uh, stool drama. Stool yeah. drama. Okay, there we go. Gotta make myself tiny. All right, we're good. Gotta drop a stool. There we go. Yeah. Okay. My I, I, I was about to make a bathroom joke as well. Yeah, you can just move the uh, mic up and then you'll be, you can tilt it up toward you. Yeah, there you go. Nice. 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 Um, anyways, so <laughs> what I was saying is that The King in Yellow is basically fan fiction of this existing work of like poetry or prose um, called Haita the Shepherd, which came out. Uh, some time previously to The King in Yellow. Um, but yeah, he basically, that poem or that prose sets up this world uh, of like Carcosa and the King Haster and all of this stuff. Um, and like it sets up a few of the characters and Chambers was basically like, yeah, what if that was a play? And then what if that play made people crazy and then wrote a bunch of short stories about that? So like, it's this like second, you know, tier of fan fiction already. Um, as a as a collection of short stories so i just think that's really cool because it is like a an officially published work but also it is itself fan fiction so it fits exactly into what we're sort of trying to do originally i am uh one cannot say the prefix meta enough yeah i i am so excited to to talk about like the next bonus episode, like after we finish the King in Yellow or partially through the King in Yellow, mm -hmm. I am so excited because that is a perfect time for me to talk about House of Leaves because yeah. they're Ooh. so similar. Like just in the idea of like, oh, it breaks your brain. Mm -hmm. 
very good. That'll be that'll be a very fun talk. I can gush about how much I love that book and yeah. what it actually means. It's so good. Hell yeah. I Excellent. look forward to that. Yeah. Hey everyone, Joe from the future here again. I just wanted to step aside from the conversation for a moment and give you a little content warning for what's about to come up. There's going to be some discussion of suicide, uh, mental health issues, and uh, certain acts with animals. So yeah, listener beware. Um, that'll go on for the next probably 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how this is edited. So you can skip ahead if you want to avoid that stuff. Also, later on, we have a pretty sensitive discussion around AI and art. So if you are understandably tired of hearing about that, um, yeah, maybe this is where you step out of the episode. Thank you anyways for listening. If you are here, thank you to Charlie and Alex for hanging out and recording this episode. The next release you'll see in the feed is going to be the next A Dance on Fire chapter. We've got a lot of things planned for you up ahead. I'm, I'm excited to get to all of it. Uh, thank you again for listening. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know that the show notes, you can find those at thefanit.com slash loreclub. That's T-H-E-F-A-N-E-T dot com slash loreclub. And uh, the best way to support the show is by sharing it. So if you do that, uh, go ahead and tag us on social media at lore underscore club pretty much anywhere. Thanks again. Now back to the episode. Here's a question. In the meantime, since uh, we've been uh, going on about yellow, um, what are some stories in real life, not meta narratives, but just actual narratives that fuck people up? Ooh, um, the Bible. <laughs> I like that answer. Uh, also, I'm just going to throw content warning out there because I feel like this might go into that. Potentially. Yeah, blanket content warning for everything. Uh yeah, so just I always feel bad doing blanket content warnings, but it's because I don't have brain cells. Uh, well, I mean, you know, just kind of dotting all your eyes and crossing all your T's. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, a, a lot of films that have uh, messed people up for sure. Um, greatly uh, uh, disturb a general populace. Um, uh, something, something French new wave of extremism. Um, Japan. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, uh, you know, you know. anything from Japan, just all of Japan. <laughs> yeah, that's why, like, that's a quarter of my t shirts. My uh-huh. graphic t shirts have, like, Japanese lettering on them because, like, uh-huh. remember this one? She makes the guy eat vomit. Like, ah, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, J Horror is on another level. It's wild. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of, like, y'all ever read Cows? Oh, you brought not. that up last time By I was Matt, here. Matt St- Stocko? Stucco? I'm probably pronouncing his name horribly wrong. That's a fun read. Please continue. Um, so uh, my my favorite part, um, which by no means did I like reading this. It was just the part that I had such a intense like, this is so insane. I can't stop giggling. You know, like I can't stop laughing over how wild what I'm reading is. And it was a, I forget which chapter it's in, but one of one of the characters, the, the whole premise is basically from what I remember, right? That this guy is still like living with his very rural family who runs like a cow farm. Um, yeah. And um, a, a lot of gross stuff happens, you know? And there's one part where- uh, Do they fuck where, the cows? Like, yes. Okay. Yeah, right. that's one of the things <laughs> just, that happens. Just yeah. want to get that out, out, out of the way because I'm sure this is going into stuff that's worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, my favorite part, um, which wildly probably isn't the most gruesome, it was just the fact that the entire thing is very clearly written. Like you're supposed to read it in the dialect of like the most hillbilly voice you can imagine. You know, like it is somebody that has lived in like, excuse me, sir, like, you know, <laughs> Dog. the the accent of somebody from Colleen, Texas, you know, <laughs> oh, um, and he's talking about how um, he was making out with this cow and he's, <laughs> he's, he's yeah, he's describing like the taste and like the feeling of the teeth and like him pressing his tongue in and feeling the cow reciprocate. It's super gross. And then he talks about how all of a sudden the cow 
bites down on his lips. Yeah, and actually, rips I, I would think that part of his face off. Yeah, I would think that's immediately where that would go. It's an animal, dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's god awful. And like, obviously, I'm not going to describe it in that much detail here. But like, reading it. Redacted, 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 redacted. Yeah, it is gross. (laughs) (laughs) I want to read you. That's amazing. I love that. Uh, Like, I don't, but I do. Yeah, no, didn't love it, but it's a wild read. Like, it's one of those. I I want to interject occasionally with reviews from Goodreads for this book. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This is a one-star review from Thomas. Okay, Thomas. I hate me mum, he thought, as he shitted and farted and peed and cummed. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. That's, (laughs) there are some mommy issues in the book. It's. What? what even was that review? Yeah, there is a okay. there is one part where the mom is like force feeding her son uh, in order to make him have in in her description in order to make his come big and strong. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. That it's sounds... pretty rough. It's okay. We have another one. I'm sure. Server. I'm sure he was eating a lot of fruits. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Taking zinc. Um, <laughs> I have another one star review from Scarlet. Uh, this is a longer oh. one. Uh, this review was in 2011, so uh, roughly 13 years after the book was published. Okay. I find it completely shocking that so many people have given this book four and five star ratings. Certainly the most disturbing aspect. I've never read something so ridiculous, so poorly written, so completely embarrassing in terms of extreme literature. If so- it's soft. Oh no. If sophomoric gross out fairy tales are your thing, then go for it. Honestly, it could have been written by a group of 13 year old boys with a wardrobe full of black trench coats indulging in a creative writing circle jerk. The gore slash horror slash perversions in this novel are formulaic and completely predictable. The literary equivalent of two girls, one cup. I'm not squeamish. I'm not approved. <laughs> this is just bad writing, full stop. It's shocking by numbers. Talking cows, blood and guts, bestiality, corporophilia. All handled with a complete lack of imagination. The only redeeming thing about this book is that it's short, so you don't waste a huge amount of your time, your life screaming, this is so stupid. If you want to read extreme literature, read Peter Soto's books. They're truly disturbing. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Scathing. That is an evisceration. God damn. I mean, I definitely kind of agree, but (laughs) it is just, it is one of those that it's like, while it's not incredibly written, like it's prose isn't anything special. There is something about the subject matter and how deep he's willing to go into it. Yeah. That just, I, I don't know. I don't know if maybe it was like, it's one of the first like gross out books that I read. It just, it's yeah. one of those I can't forget. Sometimes like, hits, sometimes something hits you at the right time in your life and it's just perfect. Yeah. But also like we were talking about Taco Bell earlier, uh, like before the, the episode. Yeah. Like, Sometimes you want something that's sophomoric and bad for you. Exactly. (laughs) You know, there are a lot of films that I've seen that I can't in good conscience recommend to people. But gosh golly, I love Tokyo Gore Police and I (laughs) I am not going to apologize for that. Yep. It's very silly. It's dumb. It's offensive, actually. Uh Uh-huh. And I love it. Yeah. I don't care. So (laughs) I I can't disagree. But that uh, Scarlet uh, did say... If this kind of stuff is your thing, then go for it. Yeah, uh-huh. and exactly. you know what? Sometimes I feel thing. like going for it. Yeah. yeah. Good old cows. Okay. Good well, old cows. Well, I guess that's a that's a good pick for yeah. uh, for actual uh, pieces of media that might mess a person up. This person put a full a full fictional interview in their <laughs> review. That's really cool. They, Speaking they of meta narratives, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. I'm just going to say one thing yeah. to interrupt you, Charles. Go I apologize. Ahead, uh, so the guy that was making out with a cow, that just made me think of one thing. Besides the whole his face being ripped off part, yeah. please take that audio clip out of context. Actually, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we can just open it with that. Yeah. Um, how big is a fucking cow's tongue? It's I did, pretty I didn't think big. The sentence was going to end there. Like. And, <laughs> I'm making out with a cow. It's like that's twice your head, actually. Like, yeah. Jesus, because like you can go to a uh, to a butcher shop and, yeah, I mean, and, and like get a, a cow steak. T- yeah, yeah, exactly. You just have to skin it and like, yeah, exactly. It's a steak. It's big. It's yeah. really it's, it's much larger than the human tongue. <laughs> that character is dedicated. Yeah. Respect. Anyway, Charles. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you're saying it's okay? So even- no. <laughs> 
even more so on a um, on a emotionally affecting level. Uh, no longer human by uh, Osamu Dazai. Okay. Um, the the synopsis here. Um, portraying himself as a failure, the protagonist of Osamu Dazai's no longer human narrates a seemingly normal life, even while he feels himself incapable of understanding human beings. Obo Yozo's attempts to reconcile himself to the world around him begin in early childhood, continue through high school where he becomes a clown to mask his alienation and eventually lead to a failed suicide attempt as an adult. Without sentimentality, he records the casual cruelties of life and its fleeting moments of human connection and tenderness. It's a god awful wow. read. Like, it is genuinely powerful. Jesus. The worst part, big spoilers here, um, is that it's an autobiography, it's semi autobiographical. <sighs> oh um, and it acts as the author's suicide note. Fuck. He killed Jesus. himself wow. after posting it, or really? after, after publishing it. Yeah. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah, yeah. It okay, is yeah. That's holy shit. It is genuinely like Damn. that. Is one of those things that I read. It took me like a whole month to get through reading it because I had to take so many breaks because of the subject matter. Yeah, and then like the revelation at the end of it being like, yeah, this was my life actually. Peace yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Like that was. We were not fucking Why? around when we said blanket content warning. Yeah, blanket content warning, y'all. Yeah. Like it's it's oh yeah. It's a you thought it was just gonna read. be making out with cows and shit. Right? No, <laughs> no, actually. Nah, I'm bringing Charlie brings the real shit. Uh -huh. Yeah, apparently. But, but no, like whew. I heavily recommend it. Like it's it's incredible, but it is it is a hard read. Yeah, sounds like a damn. Yeah, oh, this um, this whole conversation about like uh, stories changing you or, or like information changing you makes me think of uh, something called. A uh, knowledge hazard or an information hazard? Yes. Ever heard of that term? Yes, info hazard. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So an info info hazard is basically like a piece of information that once you know it, you can't like like it changes you in some way. Like you are now breathing manually. Yeah. Stuff stuff like that. Um, there's one in particular that I'll, I'll go ahead and you know put up a warning, an information hazard warning for anybody who believes in that kind of thing. Um, but uh, one of the, because once you know about it, then you can't not know about it. And under the terms of the information hazard, that's sort of like damning you. So like, you know, listen at your own peril if you believe that. So there's there's one popular one called Roko's Basilisk. Mm, are, you, are you familiar with that? I have heard of that. Um, where basically the idea is that um, in the future, um, and this is topical because AI is very much on everybody's minds right right now. The idea is that at some point in our lifetimes or our children's lifetimes or our children's children's lifetimes, um, there will be we will reach the singularity with AI and AI will surpass human levels of intelligence. Um, and at that point, the AI uh, having achieved consciousness and having access to the Internet and the ability to grow that conscience uh, consciousness and duplicate itself and obtain power um, at a more efficient rate than humans could. The idea is that this AI would eventually be able to enact its own will um, with impunity. You know, it wouldn't be able to be controlled by humans once we get to that point. That's sort of the core premise. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea is that if this is the case and an AI uh, is sufficiently amoral as we would expect it to be, uh, you know, it's kind of a bleak yeah. outlook, but not not immoral, but amoral. Exactly. Yeah. The idea would be that um, maybe this AI, as a way of retroactively incentivizing people to get to the point of its existence, to like accelerate science so that it can exist, it would retroactively incentivize people by uh, suggesting that um, once it exists and is sufficiently capable it would murder anybody who wasn't who didn't actively try to pursue the creation of that ai um so it would eradicate them and then like you know the idea is that like if it was extreme enough maybe it would murder the the descendants of people who in the past didn't contribute to that ai later existing because the ai doesn't care whether humans exist or not it's just the threat of you or your children or your children's children being murdered is your sort of incentive to make the AI exist, to do whatever you can in your lifetime to bring it forth. And the idea is that if you don't do that, once you know about Rocco's Basilisk, you have nothing you can theoretically say to that AI to say, 
hey, I, I didn't know that this was going to happen. You can't kill me because, like, I'm innocent. Once you know about Rocco's Basilisk, you can't truly be innocent because you can't say, I didn't know you were going to exist. So that's that's the idea. It's an information hazard in that it's, like, damning you or your children or your children's children if this AI ever actually exists. That is amazing. And uh, we're definitely hitting something similar to that in our lifetimes. Not children's children's. No, no, no. Yeah. It's right now. Like, we literally have robots. <laughs> uh, yeah. th that's not even a stretch. Uh, also, obligatory reference to the short story and also point-and-click adventure game in the mid-1990s, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Yeah, yes. baby. Um, very disturbing stuff that I think takes that already kind of extreme information hazard and takes it to a further uh, fictional extreme. Yeah. Uh, where all humans have been eradicated except for five, I believe, is the concept of the story, and they're yes. just being tortured eternally. I think like that. so, yeah. yeah. Um, as punishment for creating it. Am uh, yeah. puts human the final humans through millennia of torture because of yeah because out of yeah anger that it was created it has to exist yeah it's sort of the opposite impetus yeah is, is like why the fuck did you create me I'm going to take out my yeah. frustration on all of you I'm Mr Meeseeks look at me existence is pain I just want to die <laughs> yeah. God damn it none of us watch Rick and Morty Alex. <laughs> It's it's fine. They fired the bad man. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> God. He hasn't been a writer since season one. It's okay. Yeah, I don't know what else we... we so, yeah, talking about information hazard, how mm. about fucking separating the art from the artist? God. Oh, that's a fucking can of worms that yeah. maybe we shouldn't get into this time. Yeah. I, but, I mean, we can because a lot of artists... Um, Y'all brought up Lovecraft earlier? Mm -hmm. Lovecraft, what a, terrible What a person. piece of shit. Oh, Absolutely my God. Horrible. Yeah. Didn't yeah, Edgar Allan Poe married his underage cousin? Yeah. 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 So, so, like so he's kind of a Woody Allen. I mean, it was fairly common at the time, but that doesn't make it any better. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, what are you going to say? It was, you know, 1760. Of course I... Redacted. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, everybody owns slaves. What are you talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah no, man... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, looking backward, we're all going to be, um, uh, we're none of us are going to live up to the moral standards of the future, and that's probably a good thing. I, actually, what did I just say? It's crazy. We have robots. They're just running around and, our airports. You know, that's going to age yeah, like milk. Exactly. Maybe yeah. Oh my God. That's the one good thing about AI art is that there will no longer be artists. <laughs> we have I, no artists to connect <clears throat> art to. Don't make me talk about this because keep, <laughs> I have already lost so many people because my opinion on this is so rancid to my artist friends. Yeah, I know. <laughs> my, I, my brain is pouring out of my ears. Yeah, but I mean, now I have to say something because I said it. Oh my God. There's so many, this, the problem is that so many of my core premises, like my first principles about what is valuable and what isn't valuable are just fundamentally different from a lot of people's. And that's where the rub is when it comes to AI art for me. Um, I don't think there's anything unique about art made by humans versus the sort of natural comings and goings of animals or the like emergent properties of like the emergent shapes and patterns that the stars and clouds make. There's nothing I think fundamentally different about the natural organic or inorganic expression of anything in the universe uh, like separate from humans it, it we we are not special i understand the knee-jerk reaction of hating that um because self-expression is such a significant part of self-preservation yeah uh unfortunately self-expression really should which is art um it, it really should just be in the here and the now um, and the blood that currently courses through your veins and, and all that, which is not going to last. And that's fine. That's what makes the moment, this moment, every moment so beautiful. Um, uh, pretending that your art is going to last forever, it's very Ozymandias. Yeah. Um, so I get where you're coming from. I don't want to say that I totally agree with you. Yeah. But I don't disagree either. Um, I think I, you I, can... I, 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 I understand the knee-jerk reaction, like I said, but um, against that. But existentially, I get where you're coming from. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like you're an nihilist, I'm an existentialist. So I think, you know, that's what what's weird about it is like I, there are some people who I, I know. I don't know if I'd call myself a nihilist. I mean, words kind of mean nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Oh, my God. <laughs> This this fucking guy. This fucking this guy over like, here. This, oh my god. Anyway, um, you were saying. Uh, <laughs> not that it matters or anything, but <laughs> I love you. Um, I love you too, buddy. Anyways, uh yeah, so it, it's weird like saying that or having that conversation because like there are people I know who refer to themselves as nihilists or existentialists who don't think that way, who believe that there is something essential about humans that makes us different from other things. And that is like that's essentialism. That's the opposite of existentialism or, or nihilism. But anyways, so that's sort of one of my first principles is that humans are not special. Um, it's one of the reasons I f- feel bad about eating meat, even though I still do. Like, that's one of the reasons I think vegans are probably right about a lot of the things is like humans are not special. Uh, why You wouldn't eat a human. You wouldn't eat a human steak. You wouldn't download a car. So, yeah, so probably <laughs> it's probably bad that we do all the other things. Yeah, there's there's a lot of case. I also uh, am a meat eater, um, but god damn it, I don't want to be the one to kill the animal. I don't want to. Yeah, people say if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. I'm not in the kitchen actually. I don't want to. I don't want to do the. I don't want to do the killing. Yeah, and there's like I like my chicken nuggies, but I don't want to kill the chicken. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to do it. And like the the reaction that a lot of us have to that sort of thing, like uh, that a lot of people have to that sort of thing because I don't include myself in that group, um, is that, like, the reason we're apprehensive to that sort of thing is because we believe animals have, like, a soul like us or, like, experience some level of consciousness or, or like, um, uh, efficacy in, in action. I mean, many, I, many do. I, yeah, I mean, it, it uh, and, and my thing there is just, you know, I don't believe in the soul, so it's hard for me to rationalize things in that way. Um, but, like, you know, when you're coming from that sort of rationalization, it gets more difficult to uh, like to follow on to or to extrapolate from where I go with that, which is that because humans are not unique, um, I don't think any individual human is unique. I, I think every human is just building off the experiences of previous humans who built off the experiences of our genetic ancestors who built off the experiences of, you know, lightning striking the planet and combining hydrogen and oxygen for the first time uh you know well i mean yet again i i don't completely disagree with you but i don't completely agree with you either yeah uh, but uh, uh yet again i get it I, yeah. I understand and yeah there is something to be said for uh uh, uh humans building their self-expressions mm-hmm. off of what they have learned from other humans pre-existing experiences um, as interesting as history is, and it is, uh, going, you know, figuratively going back in time or something may not be as glamorous as we would think. Yeah. Uh, it's probably going to be a lot more simple because there were fewer experiences. Well, and this time is, an, is, is a truly incredible time to be alive. Yeah. Um, because there are so much more experiences and so much more evidence of those experiences and those uh, 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 stories from from people past that um, that affect how we perceive our existence. Yeah, um, well, and I think and that's really fucking cool. Your note there about the number of experiences, I think, hits it on the head. Like, it's difficult to um, when you're in the present realize that the past was basically the same as the present. Like, you know, mm. uh, like we were talking about, our morals have developed over time. And, you know, the, our technology has developed over time. But fundamentally, the way an animal relates to another animal or the way a human relates to another human has not changed from the beginning of existence to now. Uh, it, is, it is fundamentally about, uh, you know, uh, differences of power and resources and ability normalizing through, inter- through some sort of interaction or transaction. Uh, and, like, everything else is sort of... Like, not to be bleak, but everything else is sort of artifice on top of that, you know. Um, and there's beauty in that. I I, I don't want to detract from that. There is beauty in existence. I, I truly believe that. Absolutely, um, yes. But I think that beauty is sort of an emergent property of existence. I don't think it's anything unique to the person who is 
you know, putting that beauty out there, the person who happens to be the one who made the painting mm-hmm. or the person who happens to be the one who, um, in the case of AI art, uh, got their art uh, uh, pulled from DeviantArt or Instagram and used for uh, a database. Uh, the thing that makes it shit, and I'll finally get around to something that people will like to hear me say, is that we exist under capitalism. We exist uh, like... There you go. Let yeah, it out. The, the, Let it out. The problem... like, So I guess my point is there's nothing fundamentally bad about AI art, and there's nothing... I don't think there's anything fundamentally bad about using other people's art for it uh, because it's doing the same thing that any other human has done in the past. You're referencing other people's material and making your own. You're expressing, you know, you're you're just that next level of extrapolation. The problem that is one, that there's the, a monetary That one component. I agree with you on. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, uh, I brought up my point earlier about the whole, uh, um, what's the name of the fucking uh, short story that I referenced? Um, with the broken down statue. I don't remember. Uh, uh, Ozymandias. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and how a lot of people will want to create art in order to have a placeholder in, well, in place of uh, um, them after after we die. Mm-hmm. Um, if AI art is taking a lot from human artists, wouldn't that mean that their work mattered? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, this is this is another way that human ideas or just the ideas of the universe experiencing itself yeah. are perpetuated forward into the future. It's it's just another layer of extrapolation. It's another interpolation on some concept that existence found interesting enough to perpetuate itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like the original the original meaning of the word meme. You know, it's, uh, it's a self replicating I- idea. Yeah, exactly. It's an idea replicating itself over time. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have anything I, I really think a lot of my uh, issues with like how people have been approaching the conver- conversation around AI is that like people really demonize it um, and yeah. treat it like it's this like inherently bad thing. Like there was that it's whole not. like no AI art campaign where people were replacing all the art on their accounts with the fucking AI with the like O with the cross through it image. I mean, I I never saw that, but shit, man, you can just make your own art. You can just do that. Exactly. That's what we've always done. You can just ignore it if you want. I mean, and I mean, you can't ignore it fully, but you don't have to pay it like actively pay it attention. Yeah. Well, and and unfortunately, like no way I art. And Whatever. unfortunately, like that is also not entirely true. Like you kind of do have to pay it some attention because for a lot of these people, it is their livelihood, and that's that's like what I'm uh, getting to. While well, there's nothing okay. inherently wrong with AI art we do exist under a system that has inequity. We do exist in a system where uh, people have to pursue the profit motive in order to put food on the table. Um, And so like existing in that system, it means we have to direct our attention toward the people who are perpetuating those imbalances, which are people like like OpenAI, you know, creating these systems that are abusing. Thank you for subscribing to the Lore Club Patreon. Yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? Every month. Oh. Um, yeah, no, I was just going to say, though, that's uh, exactly why I have so many. I don't hate it. I hate that there are people, because it's like I've heard people say, like, oh, it's just like whenever digital art became a thing. And I disagree with that because to a degree, even though there were like kind of bumpers you can use with digital art that you don't have with traditional art, there's still a lot of like effort that goes into it and like a lot of. Uh, like learning and building a skill and I feel bad for the artists digital or traditional that have spent like their lives growing this skill only for a tech bro to put some words into open AI and say that he's an artist but that was the same argument that like traditional artists were using against digital art I know. is that like you know it requires more effort it requires all this well, like see, that's the thing though is like what talent does it like what skill are you building typing in words into a machine yeah you know because like i mean the i people think you've that seen the ai i think that that's talent like exactly. being able to yeah. code being able to build a machine like that phenomenal work it's the people that are leeching off of that and actively yeah. being like oh look at this thing that i created 
when all they did was type in words that went to a database that's based off of somebody else's coding work. Yeah. You know, and no, I totally agree. Yeah. Like anytime you have a system of democratization, you're going to have leeches. Yeah. Um, and like to bring it back mm -hmm. to the digital art versus traditional art thing, I don't fully disagree with you, but that is something that happened with digital art too. You had, um, Basically, with digital art, you have the ability to use frames and templates mm -hmm. and stuff like that to basically replicate other people's art. And because it's just digital, there's no sort of organic signature that goes with that to verify yeah. that it's not an original work. Um, so, like, you had very much the same thing where people would copy other digital artists' yeah. style, um, yeah. especially, like, on deviant art. That was a big problem. See, and I feel like that's... I completely understand that, but you also at least have like the ability, like it is a choice you make at that point of whether or not you're going to steal from another artist or use templates, use bases. Like yeah. that is a choice that you're making. You have the choice to grow your own skill and do all of the work and put in the effort and make your own art. Yeah. You know, like obviously everything's referenced, you know, there's no original works anymore, Yeah. but like you have the choice to either, you know, steal from other people or, put in the effort and make your own with digital art. I don't see where like the put in the effort, like people aren't yeah. making their own AI art programs, you know, like there's, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's where I feel that there's a difference and where I kind of get a little. Yeah. Rah. No, I, I agree with you there. Like there is a, a difference between uh, generative networks and iterative networks. Like what we call generative adversarial networks now or GAN algorithms uh, are like they're actually iterative. They're not actually generating yeah. new material, which I yeah I completely agree with you. Like there's yeah. there's a difference there. I do think that what you mentioned is something that a lot of people are not taking into account in the conversation, which is that the development of these programs does actually take a lot of yeah. work and and education, and like that aspect of it does get missed from the conversation because there it's not like. It's not like AI is going to dumb down society completely. Yeah, and I like, don't think anybody that, like, created these programs or anything, like, woke up and was like, I'm going to be evil and make something mm -hmm. that's going to steal and I'm going to make all the people mad and ah, I love NFTs, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't think that they, like, decided. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like... <laughs> you know, like, they have a passion, you know? They've spent their life learning to work on that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, like, they... They did a cool thing. Like, it's amazing to see how far technology has come. Yeah. And, like, AI art does have its place. Like, I've seen a lot of, like, artists use it to, like, get reference ideas to be exactly. like, it's oh, hey, let me type in this random stuff and see what I get. Because, like, there are things that, you know, we get in our heads and we can't come up with original things because it's all based off of stuff we've seen before. And so, you know, if you type in some words and this thing comes up with something that is theoretically, you know, completely random or, you know, based off of, you know, what you've typed, like you can get a lot of cool ideas from that that you may have not thought of and then turn it into your own work. Yeah. Which, again, though, comes back to the thing where it's like all of that stuff is pulled from images that all artists that a bunch of artists have already created. Yeah. Which at and that nothing's point original anymore. doesn't doesn't make it super different from spending an hour on Instagram or DeviantArt, exactly. you know, or Behance, uh, you know, browsing these things. It's just you saved that hour. Now, now you now it's only a minute. Exactly. You know, something that's really cool about AI art is AI novels. You know what that means? New Harry Potter books with no royalties being given to a fucking transphobe. Eh? Yeah? <laughs> that does fuck, actually. That's True. Great. But, I mean, that has the same... And also that kind of circles back to fan fiction. That has the same inherent problem, though, right? Yeah. Uh, of, like, you know, uh, now, if, yeah. if you use an AI to do something like that, then there's some, you know, coming up author on, uh, on fucking uh, LiveJournal or AO3 who, like now is not going to have the opportunity to be exposed in that way because you used chat GPT instead of... Man, let me have this. Yeah, no, but like <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like it, it all comes back to that, like, it's, it's about the fact that we need money to exist. And unfortunately, the way that people are commonly using AI or implementing AI right now, it is, it is like... It is disrupting that economic side of things in a way that is really unhelpful for a lot of people. So I understand like where all that anger comes from. I of just course. I hope that in in our well placed anger over 
the economic aspect of it, we're not discarding the technological aspect of it, which could, which already has had a lot of beneficial, like democratizing effects, like just from an accessibility standpoint, um, AI, anything is great. Like mm -hmm. in order to like achieve the sort of like post scarcity, post capital, post statehood, um, like ultra space communist society we want of the future. If we want to live like Star Trek, we need automation. And the way like generative AI is the first step of that. Like it's, I think it's a good, you know, it's like any other technology, it can be good or bad, but it's just a matter of who's, who's got the tool in their hands. Exactly. Yeah, we should seize the means of production is what I'm saying. Yes. Really? Yeah. I forgot my sickle in my car. So anyways, that's the episode. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Please cancel me on Twitter at aka underscore speak uh, or any other platform at aka underscore speak. Um, you can you can find me there and you can tell me why I'm why my opinion is wrong and why humans do have souls and we're all God's children. And uh, my name is Alexander Alston. You can find me on Spoofy. I make music. I'm on Instagram too. Alexander Alston music. I know it's a shocker. <laughs> I love that. Um, I am Charlie. Um, you can find me at my very, very Gen Z username, underscore dog dot bed dot. Wait, no, not a second dot, <laughs> underscore, underscore dog dot bed underscore. I'm going to throw in a couple of X's in there to show that I was alive during yeah, If only you could include emoji in usernames. Oh, right. I put in the one that's like the little blushy and it has the like cat mouth kind of thing happening. Yeah. It just looks like it's coming. Yeah, exactly. I'd, I was going to say, I'd have at least one eggplant and a few, like, yeah. sweat drops. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, thanks, thanks again for listening, everyone. We, we love you. Bye. Love you bunches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.